Hey folks, welcome to the Dark Horse Podcast live stream number 114. Am I correct about that, Dr. Hine? It is 114. It is the 114th live stream. And uh, I don't think we should kid them. Everything is haywire. Yeah. If you've ever bailed your own hay, you know what that means. It's not good. It's crazy. But <laughs> we're going to get through this together. So um, welcome. Yeah. Indeed, welcome. We're going to talk... Um, we're going to continue to talk as we began to talk last week about the, uh, it goes by a number of names, the truckers convoy, uh, truckers for freedom, the protests that are happening in Ottawa and uh, across Canada, in fact, um, and, and a few other things, but that at least is where we're going to start today. Um, and, um, let's just, let's get through the announcements and logistics first and, and then jump right in. Uh, so, um, if you are watching on YouTube, the chat is live on Odyssey. You can go there. Uh, you can ask questions for the Q&A that will be live after we are done with this uh, first hour at uh, www.darkhorsesubmissions.com. We make no promises about getting to all the questions. In fact, we never do get all of, to all of the questions, but we um, get to as many of them as we can. We encourage you to join our Patreons. It helps us uh, do what we're doing here. Uh, last week, we had the private Q&A at my Patreon, which is always a lot of fun. We have um, we have some products at store.darkhorsepodcast.org where you can find direwolves and an epic tabby and digital book burning and more. And uh, I have I have come to begin to recommend that you go over to Natural Selections, my Substack, naturalselections.substack.com, uh, where you can uh, become a free subscriber and get what is usually a, a weekly essay into your inbox and then paying subscribers get an audio uh, read by me. Uh, this week, I posted six different six different times uh, for guest posts, uh, two of which got a little subsumed by the rest, uh, but uh, they are extraordinary as well. Two of them were by a paramedic in Wyoming, Jordan Hayes, who uh, has written uh, exemption letters to request uh, to request exemptions from the vaccine mandates that are being handed down, uh, for which he may uh, lose his job. Uh, so I encourage you to read to read both of those. And then uh, the other two guest posts um, are uh, are from Canada, and I'm going to read a little bit from both of them today. Uh, they are extraordinary and um, heartbreaking, both. Uh, so I, I do I will encourage everyone to read them both in their entirety. But um, we'll read some some from both today. Um, before that, though. Um, we want to thank our sponsors, as always. Uh, so your support on Patreon and your support of our sponsors are both um, are both helping us do what we do, and we are grateful for all of them. We are, as we've said many times, very very choosy about our sponsors. Our fabulous ad broker says that you know we we reject more than we accept, and uh, and he loves it, and he accepts that uh, this is this is part of why we are actually. Um, able to, to do what we do, that we actually do not advertise for any products or companies that we do not stand behind. So without further ado, we have, as usual, three sponsors this week, starting with Vivo Barefoot, uh, our first sponsor. Shoes made for feet. Most shoes are made for someone's idea of what feet should be and be constrained by, and usually that someone doesn't actually know feet or what they can do. Vivo Barefoot, in contrast, knows feet. Vivo Barefoot isn't driven by fashion. You could tell, because shoes aren't really all that attractive. I know I'm, I practically live in them at this point when I'm not barefoot. But man, oh man, are these shoes a revelation. 
We love them. They are beyond comfortable. And the tactile feedback from the surfaces you're walking on is amazing. They cause no pain at all because there are no pressure points forcing your feet into odd positions. Our feet are the products of millions of years of evolution. Humans evolved to walk, move, and run barefoot. But modern shoes that are overly cushioned and strangely shaped have negatively impacted foot function. Foot. Yeah, foot isn't really a word. Foot function. Canadian. <laughs> yeah. Um, and are contributing to a health crisis, one in which people move less than they might, in part because their shoes make their feet hurt. So Vivo, Vivo wow, I'm just going to get all the O's kind of Canadian today. Okay, mm -hmm. Vivo barefoot shoes. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Vivo barefoot shoes are designed wide to provide natural stability, thin to enable you to feel more, and flexible to help you build your natural strength from the ground up. Foot strength increases by 60% in a matter of months just by walking around in them. The number of people wearing Vivo Barefoots is growing. It's an odd little club, <clears throat> easily recognizable because the shoes are, as I said, a little unusual looking. Once people start wearing these shoes, they don't seem to stop. So go to vivobarefoot.com slash darkhorse to get an exclusive offer of 20% off. Additionally, all new customers get a 100-day free trial so you can see if you love them as much as we do. That is V-I-V-O-B-A-R-E-F-O-O-T dot com slash darkhorse. All right. Um, in light of our somewhat Canadian-themed uh, podcast today, Vivo Barefoot, I am offering up a slogan to them. Vivo Barefoot, go out in a boot. I don't know. All right. I, I, I love their hiking boots, too. Yeah. Instantly. Yeah. It's great stuff. All right. Second sponsor is Allform, a company that makes absolutely terrific custom sofas. What makes the sofas terrific? For a fraction of the cost of traditional sofas, you can customize size, layout, fabric, and color. They do armchairs and love seats, all the way up to an eight-seat sectional sofa. Can you imagine it? And you can start small and buy more seats later on without needing to go uh, to get a whole new sofa. All form sofas are delivered directly to your home, free and fast, and assembly is easy. I can vouch for that. We have got a beautiful sectional all-form sofa in whiskey leather. It's soft and supple, warm, unlike a lot of leather. We all pile on it to watch movies some evenings. It looks gorgeous and is incredibly inviting and comfortable, a rare combination. We like it so much, we're getting a second one, which I understand has been delivered, and I'm looking forward to assembling it. Uh, also, some listeners have asked if all form holds up to pets. Why, yes, it does. The leather that all form uses is about 20% thicker than typical furniture leather and shows no wear, despite the fact that both cats and dogs lie on the couch many evenings. And if you prefer fabric, all form has fabrics that are three and a half times more durable than the industry standard for heavy duty fabrics. So, their fabrics are going to hold up really well with pets also. Finally, they offer a forever warranty, literally forever. To find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash darkhorse. Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners at allform.com slash darkhorse. That's A-L-L-F-O-R-M dot com slash darkhorse. And mm, <clears throat> finally, our final sponsor for today is once again, Public Goods. Public Goods was one of our very first sponsors about nine months ago, and we are as pleased with them now as when we first tried their products. Public Goods can simplify your life as a one-stop shop for everyday essentials. Their ingredients are carefully sourced, high quality, and affordable. They have coffee and tea, grains and oils like olive and avocado. They've got Castile soap and trash bags and essential oils. <clears throat> they have spices and extracts like vanilla and almond, vinegars and pastas, dishware and glassware. There's so much at Public Goods to make a meal, including the materials to serve it on. 
Public goods products have great design. The aesthetic is simple and clean and there are no garish colors. They care about health and sustainability. Sustainability. Their products are largely free of harmful ingredients and additives and the ingredients are ethically sourced. And their subscription service is efficient and simple and easy to use. Public goods members can buy all of their premium essentials in one place. It really is an everything store. For Dark Horse listeners, we have the following offer. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. They're so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they are giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Go to publicgoods.com slash darkhorse or use code darkhorse at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash darkhorse to receive $15 off your first order. Okay. Yep. Pollinate a plant, sustain a bee. All right, that's not that great a slogan, but you know, it, it's it's a it's a it's a place to start. I may have mumbled. Yeah, you know, it yep, happens. Yeah, it's been quite a week. It's been quite a week. Um, it's been quite a week. We have been watching. Um, we have been watching with such hope and and joy what is happening in Canada uh, at the same time that we watch um, the the media coverage of what is happening in Canada. And frankly, the silence is better than um, the coverage when it happens because it is so, um, so the opposite of what's actually going on. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but I actually, I want to start with a little bit from Mila's story, I think is the, is the place to start. Um, I shed a lot of tears this week, and I don't I don't cry much, as you know, and I'm going to try to do this without doing so. Um, when I posted uh, the second thing that I'm going to read from, uh, a letter from uh, a Dark Horse fan named Dan, uh, the, the mother of this beautiful young woman, Mila, wrote in the comments, I believe that's when I first heard of her, that, um, that she and her husband had been... Um, out on the streets as the convoy passed last uh, last Friday, uh, I guess eight days ago now, uh, and passing out flyers, just single page flyers uh, about their daughter, uh, who um, who is gone now, uh, who who died of suicide. She was an extraordinary young woman who was nowhere close to the edge before the COVID lockdowns. And as she says um, in the flyer that she handed out to the truckers as they passed through their small town in Ontario, uh, I sent letters to the Prime Minister, the Ontario Premier, to the federal and provincial health ministers, then the ministers of education. Nobody even wrote us back. Nobody cares. You can actually show my screen here, Zach, if you want. Um, this is again Tara, the mother of Mila, speaking or writing to the truckers. This is not just about our child. It is about Canada's children. Thank you for what you were doing. It matters. Uh, so I say here just in the preamble to what Tara then wrote um, and which she allowed me to post on Bachelor Selections this week, our children need their world back. We have stolen some things that we can never return. And Mila, as you will learn, again, I encourage you to go and to read this and to spread it widely. There are a lot of people who need to know that this is one of the this is one of the true human tragedies that has resulted from the policies that have been so insane. Uh, she was deeply loved and will be forever missed by the many people who knew her. 
um, the truckers and their supporters and friends are doing this for all of us. And we thank them and we thank you, the truckers who are listening. Um, and we encourage you as we will throughout this, this live stream today to hold the line. And we, and we see that you're doing that. Um, okay. So if I may have my screen back just for a moment, Zach, while I find just a brief excerpt from this to read, um, here from from Tara, mother of of Mila, and you can you can show my screen if you want, Zach. You don't need to, but my inclination, again, this is reading a mother's grieving words. Um, I guess eight months after her youngest daughter's death, my inclination is to spend all of my time sharing stories of our beloved Mila with you. I'd like to tell you about her homeschooling years when we would wake up at oh six hundred hours in the morning to note from her telling to notes from her telling us that she was in the forest with her bow, looking for adventures, or about the novels she wrote about wolves and barn cats when she was only nine years old. I would love to share a coffee or two and tell you about the 98% average she maintained throughout high school and the peer tutoring she offered to those who struggled. Maybe I could play you a recording of her jazzy saxophone number or show you the video of her playing her ukulele in a hammock with two barn cats snoozing on her lap. Her barn cats would sit outside our door, waiting for her to leave the house so they could follow her wherever she went, moving in great calico tumbleweeds behind her. As much as I want to stay there in those memories of my beloved, and for those of you watching, there she is on screen at 17 with her ukulele. As much as I want to stay there in those memories of my beloved, I need to crawl out and do this part now. The part where I tell you the story of Mila's death and the events that precipitated it. The part where, in the rubble of my life, I muster what I can to share with you our pain in hopes that there is something here that might make a crumb of difference. Mila, illuminated and mysterious, was a creature beyond this time. She wanted to be a midwife and she would have been a glorious one. When COVID hit, our part of the world, Ontario, Canada, imposed some of the most draconian and aggressive measures of anywhere in the world. A couple of weeks to flatten the curve, right? Initially, like almost everywhere and everyone, we obliged. Schools were closed. It was near the end of Mila's grade 11 year then. There were no classes online at that time. A mad scramble ensued to get these kids some sort of education. Eventually, schools tentatively opened for some. We had the option of keeping her home or sending her in. She insisted on going. For the next few months and into the fall of her graduating year, schools opened. Then schools closed. Then schools opened. Her friend group shrunk considerably. Most parents abided by the no socializing rule. There was really nowhere for them to go anyway. Theaters, live music, restaurants, and even places like bowling and the roller rink were closed. Instead, the dwindling friend group that Mila was a part of had random, clandestine meetups in a friend's frigid barn or someone's basement. I want you to read this entire, this entire essay, uh, but I'm going to read the last two paragraphs. <clears throat> Here. On the evening of May 10th, 2021. I had a dream that an angel stood before me. Her outstretched arms were empty and her water-soaked wings dripped a puddle around her feet. Her head was bowed. I failed. That was her message. We were awoken by the police knocking on our door. Our Mila, strong and true, had died of suicide. And Tara shared with me also this line drawing by an artist local to them that is being used as the inspiration for uh, the stone carver for Mila's headstone. This young woman was nowhere close to the end of her rope before 
these before any of this happened. And these parents see the truckers' convoy as the inspired, patriotic, peaceful, and passionate movement that it is. And it is being portrayed as hateful, as white supremacist, as racist, as misogynistic, by a media and governmental apparatus that clearly does not have our interests in mind. Yeah, there. Um, so first of all, I should say this story is um, is unbelievable and absolutely heartbreaking in the sense that the death of any young person is a tragedy. There's the potential ahead of any young person, and the loss of it is um, appalling. But in this particular person's case, this was um, an extremely well-adjusted girl who had a tremendous amount to live for. And I, I think the thing that is so hard to accept is how much damage was done in a short time by a society that I'm beginning to realize, and really this has been, this has been what my week has been characterized by, the recognition that you can tell how dangerously broken our society is by the number of different ways in which you can see that we are absolutely failing children. And this story contains not one, but several of these. And they combine. And their combined effect is, you know, to have robbed the world of somebody that I have no doubt would have been an utterly extraordinary adult. Um, And it is, you know, on the one hand, it's a wake-up call, right? Because the point is the very definition of what a society is. It's not, it's not a generation. A society has to go on in order to be legitimate. There's no construction you could put together that wouldn't continue, that would be valid, right? No matter what it did in the short term. Ours doesn't really do anything right in the short term. Not anymore. And it is also setting itself up to cease to exist because it no longer regards children as fundamental and important. And in any case, we're going to have to think through how we confront this. You know, what we have here is the evidence of the failure. We don't have a recipe for fixing it. Um, but I believe you're you're absolutely right in, um, you know, somehow this story of Mila and the story of the truckers, they both are and aren't the same story. Right. Right. Um, but the misportrayal of the truckers i mean first of all on the one hand that's all you need to know right you've got you've got people working class people who were months ago heralded as heroes of the pandemic for keeping the goods on the shelves these people are now being demonized and being demonized so transparently. If you just simply do any of your own work, you can find out who these people are. In fact, I'm sure you're going to talk about it, but uh, you know, there's a couple of journalists who are 
walking around at random. And what this does is it allows you to find out the truth of the convoy by following somebody around. I, I happened to catch a bit of the stream this morning where he ran into people on the other side who were protesting the convoy. He didn't run it. So this is uh, Viva Fry, yep. V-I-V-A-F-R-E-I. Um, YouTube channel. Um, he's, um, I think he's a lawyer um, uh, out of uh, out of Quebec, and he's been going to the um, to Ottawa to the protests and just you know doing live streams. And highly recommend he, his his today just ended right before we started, actually, just by coincidence. Um, but yeah, he heard that there were going to be counter protesters there today, and he sought them out. He sought them out. He actively sought them out, and most of them refused to talk to him. And those who did. Uh, we're using, uh, you know, pat rhetoric and uh, accusations that aren't true, claims, claims of violence, claims, claims such as we have heard over and over and over again. But the people who were actually walking around there, both who are or who are portraying it through live streams and other, um, and um, and and we hear from many private people who aren't out there, you know, publicizing what they're seeing. You're seeing none of this. And, you know, are there, <clears throat> excuse me, are there agents provocateurs on the ground occasionally? Very few, maybe, I, but they're not even seeing those. Well, but, okay, I want to go back and, and, and deal with the agent provocateur problem because yeah. it seems to me, right, let's say there are Confederate flags as bizarre as that is in Canada, right, or swastikas or whatever, right? It can't, you cannot live in, to the extent that we understand that protest is an important process, right? This is written into the American constitutional DNA. To the extent that we understand that that process is important, the idea that all you have to do to shut it down is transport into it something vile, capture an image where the vile thing is present with the other thing, and then the point is, well, the other thing is no longer valid because you wouldn't want to be near a Confederate flag, wouldn't, would you? Essentially, what you're doing is you're handing power the ability to shut down critique if you do that. So we can't well, but, do that. I mean, not only that, um, but the I mean, hypocrisy is not anything close to a, a strong enough word for what is going on here. Compare. I, I hope someone does this formally. I, I did not spend the time to compile the comparisons of the footage and the coverage of the Black Lives Matter protests that here in Portland nightly became riots for months. The media coverage of this was that it was mostly peaceful. There was actual destruction of property all the time, including actual, I was gonna say actual statues like that matters. This only matters because one of the few things that has been said um, that has any accuracy with regard to pushback against what is happening in Ottawa is that there was desecration of statues. And as far as I've seen, the desecration of statues involves having put flowers on a statue. I saw a sign. A sign around. Hung on a statue. On, mm -hmm. um, so um, compare that to the toppling of statues, the beheading of statues, you know, fake fornication with the head of statues during the protest protests of the of 2020 what could possibly explain the complete inversion of the truth in both of these cases in both of these cases yeah i mean and and i i agree i you know 
I'm pretty good with language. I know there's supposed to be a term for what this is. The it, It's not even the complete fictionalization of what's taking place. It is the exact inverse of what is taking place. Exactly. In, in, in both of these cases, we're like 18 months later, and it's the exact opposite. What is happening on the ground is the exact opposite of what is being portrayed in the media. And some number of people are nodding along going, okay. I guess it's true because I saw it on the screen. Well, you know, because because the person who I've come to trust because I see them on my screen all the time is saying it to me. Therefore, it must be true. So um, I had a very good discussion with uh, one of my Patreon groups this morning, and mm -hmm. this this is functioning as a reality check in sort of the way the dark horse is functioning for a reality check for many people. This group of folks lives all over the world, actually, and you know we get to check in with what you're seeing, what I'm seeing. And, you know, I actually was a little bit thrown this morning by the fact that what you and I are seeing about this convoy is not necessarily even what people who agree with us on the substance of COVID are seeing. So sure. how is that the case? But um, the, uh, the, the point I want to bring out of that conversation is the question of what role a suspension of disbelief is playing in what's happening and how much of this effectively requires the the viewer to willingly accept the fiction in order not to confront the reality and i'm i'm seeing evidence of this um all over the place really okay. so i don't know what to do about it but the fictionalization that is taking place is and i almost never use this word but it's evil mm -hmm. right this is this is our civilization attacking itself by blinding people to the actual facts of their their existence. Um, but part of what is going on is that there are incentives driving people to accept the fictions. Because if they looked even just slightly outside of the screen, they would understand that what they were being sold was nonsense, right? That, you know, yeah. this is anything but a violent racist protest, right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it's it's hard, of course, to know what what people do and do not think, what people are and are not seeing. And I had I had wanted to go right into Dan's letter, but I think actually, given where we've been here, um, talking a little bit about um, what the mainstream media specifically has has said and done, and and what we're actually um, seeing on the ground. So um, don't show my screen here, Zach. But here's um, here's this is just out of a little country newspaper in. Ontario, uh, from um, the, a city councillor, and it's exactly in keeping with um, what is in the larger outlets. The sad humor of it all, a relatively small percentage of people who have concerns about vaccines are being used by well-organized white supremacists who want to break up the country, probably funded by big oil money although we don't know because so many donations are anonymous, and who would happily take away the freedom of the vast majority who want to go to work, visit family, go to school, and go out for dinner and a show without increased infection risk. This is fundamentally an issue of how we keep our communities safe. It is not about freedom for the few to engage in antisocial behavior, but the freedom for most people to go about their regular lives without undue fear. We make these decisions every day when we create laws. We have used vaccine mandates successfully for many decades as one way to keep society safe. Actually, it's not humorous. White supremacists see the KKK cross and many depictions praising the truck convoy are hijacking the vaccine debate for profoundly self-interested reasons. It is destructive to the country and people's rights to safety. I'm going to leave the guy's name off of that because I don't need to 
to start a pile on, but there's so much wrong with that. And this is an elected, an elected official. Um, well, it, it's one of two things. There's really, it has to be one of two things. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is either a window into somebody's utterly profound delusion. Yeah. Or it is gaslighting, right? It is, it is attempting to convince you of the inverse of reality such that your own view of reality will look insane. Yeah. Um, the idea that the people out in like whatever it was, like negative six degree weather today and throughout the week are out there trying to take away the freedom of others. Oh, the selfishness of those people cheering on working class truckers. Probably funded by big oil money. Oh, probably. So, by the way, this was written before GoFundMe, GoFundMe, um, took down, you know, the, the, the GoFundMe for the truckers for freedom um, movement had already collected more than 10 million Canadian dollars and uh, something around a million or so had been dispersed. And then um, due to claims that appear to be completely false um, and uh, and their reference to standard, um, you know, the, the sort of the small print that they can make mean whatever they want to, decided not to disperse any more money. Um, yesterday they were saying uh, that you had to actually go in and request your money back or they would distribute it um by some other to some other organizations, and today they are saying that they're actually going to refund the money to people without you having to make their quest. That's so big of them. Um, but the idea, the you know, the, the idea that this is white supremacist, that this is funded by big oil, that this is about people trying to tamp down others' freedoms, uh, that this you know that this white supremacist, the KKK, or any of this, just go and look at any of these videos that are out there and. I will read later from, or actually maybe maybe I should read now from, this is all out of order from what I had in mind. Um, here we are. Uh, you can show my screen, Zach. Uh, this is from a piece called A Night with the Untouchables. I'll just read the first and the last paragraphs. And again, I'll link to everything in the show notes. I live in downtown Ottawa, right in the middle of the trucker convoy protest. They are literally camped out below my bedroom window. My new neighbors moved in on Friday, and they seem determined to stay. I have read a lot about what my new neighbors are supposedly like, mostly from reporters and columnists who write from distant vantage points somewhere in the media heartland of Canada. Apparently, the people who inhabit the patch of asphalt next to my bedroom are white supremacists, racists, hate mongers, pseudo-Trumpian grifters, and even QAnon-style nutters. I have a perfect view down Kent Street, the absolute ground zero of the convoy. In the morning, I see some protesters emerge from their trucks to stretch their legs, but mostly throughout the day they remain in their cabs, honking their horns. At night, I see small groups huddled in quiet conversations in their newfound companionship. There is no honking at night. What I haven't noticed, not even once, are reporters from any of Canada's news agencies walking among the trucks to find out who these people are. So last night, I decided to do just that. I introduced myself to my new neighbors. This is not someone, and it, it goes, it, he then talks about the people he meets. And this is not someone who I think was particularly favorable to or inspired by this, this movement. He lives there and he wanted to go meet them because it was clear to him that what he was seeing out his window without even having talked to them was a mismatch for what he was hearing on the news. 
and he tells his story and it's he tells the story of the people he's met and it's amazing and so i'm just going to finish the the last paragraph uh, as I finally made my way back home after talking to dozens of truckers into the night, I realized I met someone from every province ex except Prince Edward Island. They all have a deep love for this country. They believe in it. They believe in Canadians. These are the people that Canada relies on to build its infrastructure, deliver its goods, and fill the ranks of its military in times of war. The overwhelming concern they have is that the vaccine mandates are creating an untouchable class of Canadians. They didn't make highfalutin arguments from Plato's Republic, Locke's treatises, or Bagahoe's know that uh, interpretation of Westminster parliamentary systems. Instead, they see their government willing to push a class of people outside the boundaries of society, deny them a livelihood, and deny them full membership in the most welcoming country in the world. And they said, enough. Last night, I learned my new neighbors are not a monstrous, faceless, occupying mob. They are our moral conscience, reminding us with every blow of their horns what we should have never forgotten. We are not a country that makes an untouchable class out of our citizens. So uh, I'm reminded of this. I think I've talked about this once before on a live stream, but I think it's worth revisiting. There's a moment in the movie, The Truman Show. Uh, Truman is beginning to figure out that the world is being constructed around him uh, for the purpose of misleading him so that he will, you know, do for the cameras what is necessary for The Truman Show to be successful. Mm -hmm. And as he begins to get wise to this there's a moment where he takes his wife an actress hired to play his wife but he doesn't know it um into the car and he starts behaving erratically mm -hmm. and the point is the entire premise of the truman show depends on the fact that he is predictable enough that they can construct reality ahead of him before he gets there yeah. and so he's driving around this roundabout like a maniac because the point is nobody knows what road he's going to take out of there and so the people who make the truman show happen are freaking out because he's not doing what he needs to do and the point is that behavior mm -hmm. is necessary right you're being told that these people are x you need to behave unpredictably and go find out if they are X. And if they're not, what does that tell you about the Truman Show you're living in? Yeah. Right? That That's the place we are. And so this is, this is really the question is if people are suspending their own disbelief and buying this bullshit, all they need to do is just flip that one bit. Yeah. Right? You don't need to revamp your whole way of viewing the world. What you need to do is flip that one bit and say, I am no longer going to do my part in accepting this story. I'm just going to spot check it. Yeah. I'm going to see whether the story adds up. And when you find out that every place you spot check it, it breaks through. It's, 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 it's rice paper thin, right? Then the point is, okay, what would have to be true for that to be right, right? Mm -hmm. If every news channel is either not reporting the story or reporting it upside down, what does that tell me about what those news channels are? What does it tell me about what else is on them, right? Right. That's what, that's what we have to do. Yes. And, you know, you, 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 you blaze through the, the GoFundMe issue. Mm. The deeper one digs there, the crazier this is. Yep. Right? This is a $10 million campaign. This mm -hmm. organization, this business functions for this purpose. And this majorly successful campaign, the business itself has rejected it. Mm -hmm. Right. What kind of insanity is that? Right. That's mm -hmm. cannibalizing their own business. But even worse than that. Right. GoFundMe was perfectly happy with the suspension of the rule of law in the chop in yep. Seattle. Right. They allowed that to be funded. They even heralded it. 
Mm -hmm. right? So the point is, this is a completely arbitrary political business seeming to function as just a, you know, a conduit to deliver a service. Oh, well, I guess I, I'm going to disagree strongly with the word arbitrary there. It is precisely not arbitrary. It is directional. The message is clear. It is and ideological. It is ideological. It is not arbitrary. And um, and there's and there's no place to go for most of the services that we now imagine that we have as citizens of the world, really, um, if you don't conform to the opinion of the ideology that is running all of these platforms. So uh, I have a little experiment planned with, with respect to this because I'm so infuriated by, you know, seeing this this business take up arms against some fraction of its users for an ideological purpose that is obviously despicable and insane yeah. when they did not stand up for us when, you know, the law was being suspended in the Pacific Northwest. Like, what the hell are these people standing for? Yeah. So anyway, here's, here's my little experiment. My sense is, A, GoFundMe realized something after they did this. Mm -hmm. The despicable move to steal that money and deliver it to charities that they felt were acceptable as they were slandering. It's not clear to me that they were going to make the decision. But no, I don't think they were going to make the decision. Yeah. But the point is it was going to be the list of places that they find legitimate, whereas they were declaring the convoy illegitimate, sure. which is clearly not their right, nor anything they have expertise in. Yeah. And obviously they fucked it up. Because, you know, they're buying a false story about what this convoy is. But, okay, so here's the, here's the point. A, something spoke back to them very loudly. And the reversal that you and I both noticed that they went through today, where they went from, we will distribute this money to others, to, oh, actually, we're going to refund it to everybody because, holy hell, we just, you know, revealed the, the morally bankrupt nature of our business and suddenly our user base is in revolt against us, mm -hmm. right? We have to go further, right? Yes. They have to watch their their life, their life as a business flash before their eyes mm -hmm. so that this does not happen again. So that every business that contemplates this remembers what happened to GoFundMe mm -hmm. when they pulled this asinine bullshit in the middle of a global emergency. So here's my proposal. And I don't know if this is going to work, but I would like it to. I think we need to learn to wield the tools at our disposal. And... One of the tools at our disposal, as much as it seems frivolous, is the trending hashtag system of Twitter. And so what I'm going to suggest is that we attempt to get our anger to register through Twitter in a way that we can see it reflected, right? And what I've done is I've put together a, an annoyed tweet. <laughs> an um, annoyed tweet? tweet is it's that an annoyed tweet. Okay. Um, and my tweet... Uh, responds to their revision of their policy where they tell us that, they, no, in fact, they are going to refund the money because, oh, go away, right? That thing. Mm -hmm. um, and I've said, sure, sure, you're just simplifying the process, which is the excuse sure. they deployed for why they were changing course. The hashtag is go truck yourself, mm -hmm. all right? So what I want to do is I'm going to tweet this out. Um, those of you who are interested in participating in this experiment, which is, I hope a lot of you, you can feel free to uh, support that tweet, retweet it. But what I really want you to do is use the hashtag GoTruckYourself with all of the words capitalized and come up with something that you can say 
Uh, mind you, there are truck emojis if you need them. Um, you can make a little convoy if you'd like. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I think go truck yourself uh, is a theme that uh, GoFundMe should hear loud and clear um, from those of us who are paying attention. So I'm tweeting Excellent. it right now. Go truck yourself. Um, there is apparently um, GiveSendGo.com, which is maybe, maybe not a Christian site that is uh, sort of a GoFundMe with a, with a Christian slant. Uh, where www.givesendgo.com slash Freedom Convoy 2022 is supposed to be accepting um, donations now. But uh, every time I go there, ah, now it's now it's up. So, uh, Zach, if you just show my screen briefly. Um, half the time I go there, I get an error, and um, sometimes it shows that it's up. And um, whenever I have tried to donate, it hasn't let me. Uh, so, you know, I, th I think it's not... I, I think it doesn't have enough can't bandwidth. Something I don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if 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 you donated before on the GoFundMe site, or if you didn't, but you think this is an honorable thing, uh, I, I believe that this site uh, is uh, if if you can get through is all right. Honorable. So um, I want to be a little careful because who yep. knows? You know, I don't. I assume the site is on the up and up, but I know nothing about it. Zach, can I can I put my screen, please? Thank you. Um, but. One thing, if you're looking for something you could tweet with that hashtag, uh, a link to that site would allow GoFundMe to understand that their business was going to people who are more honorable than they are, and um, would give people some way that is useful to, to address this. I would also point out, you know, there's certain words that are absolutely necessary to describe what we're doing, and we've gotten the inverse words because so much of what we think comes through this inverse filter, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I started using, and I, I, don't, other, I may have picked it up from someone else, but I started using the word dissident for those of us who have been vocally disagreeing uh, about COVID science and public policy. That word is now caught on, and I think it matters because to understand that you are joining the category of dissidents, you are not, you know, uh, you are not forced to accept the epithets. Well, that, that tablet article that uh, I read briefly from last week is titled The Dissidents as well. So yeah. you know, it's, it's, be, it's being used. It's definitely now yeah. the widely used term and the dissidents themselves use it, which is good. Um, but I would point out the whole portrayal of this convoy, as all, everything I have seen, has not used the term civil disobedience. Right. The whole point is mm, I've seen it. You've seen it. Mm -hmm. oh, OK, well, a little I, bit. I haven't seen it much. So I haven't seen it at all. So it isn't used, being used much is, is what I'm guessing. Mm -hmm. And I think the point yeah. is civil disobedience is inherently about violating rules. Right. right. That is its nature. We understand that this is sometimes necessary, and we can argue about whether it is necessary in this case. But the idea that there is no that, you know, because this is disruptive, that there is something wrong with that. No, it has to be disruptive because you know what else was disruptive? These mandates, which actually don't make any sense. Yeah. So, um, actually, that's um, unless you were going no, somewhere. No. Uh, that's that's a, a really excellent segue um, to. In a minute, Zach, I'm going to have you show that video that I asked you to clip. Um, but first, I want to say I'm not going to show these because I didn't prepare which. Um, but we have. Um, you know, there's lots happening in Canadian politics at the moment. Not only is Trudeau MIA, um, but uh, the Conservative Party uh, has um, thrown out its leadership and they've got a new interim leader of the Conservative Party, Candace Bergen, 
Um, and there's a there's a piece of footage of her, uh, which I will link to in the show notes, in which she proclaims that the people protesting are passionate, patriotic, and peaceful, which is rather an honest description of certainly what I've seen. And we also have a um, a speech from Brian Peckford, uh, which again I will link to. He uh, was one of the framers of the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms, which was penned in 1981. So for you know for Americans listening, that's analogous to the American Bill of Rights, which was ratified back in 1791. But Canadians' version um, happened in 19. 19- 81, rather more recently. Of all the first ministers who worked on the Canadian document, the Charter, only one remains alive today, and that's Peckford. He is appalled at the COVID-era violations, and um, uh, the COVID-era violations of personal freedoms, and... um, Sorry, I'm distracted by our cat who has showed up. Um... He is appalled. He is um, being very active in standing up against them. And um, he's also former premier of uh, Newfoundland. Uh, And in the speech that I will link to, uh, he says, among many other important things, as an individual, you come first. The groups that you form with come second. So this is this is critical. And this is uh, exactly framed in the Canadian Charter, uh, which, again, is analogous to our um, our Bill of Rights here in the United States. Um, and then a third inspirational speech that I watched this week, and there were there were many more than that, but is from a Corporal Bulford. Uh, and it is, I believe, it is his resignation speech from the Royal Mounted Canadian Police, uh, where he has, um, he's been a Mountie for about 15 years. And I guess, Zach, if you could show just that 40 seconds or so of this speech now. So I'd like to read my oath of office that I took 15 years ago. I, Daniel Bulford, solemnly swear that I will faithfully, diligently, and impartially execute and perform the duties required of me as a member of the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and will well and truly obey and perform all lawful orders and instructions that I receive as such without fear, favor, or affection of or toward any person, so help me God. I cannot be compliant or complicit with federal policies and provincial regulations that I sincerely believe to be unlawful by every measure. I cannot be compliant or complicit with federal policies and provincial regulations that I sincerely believe to be unlawful by every measure. These are the sorts of people that we are losing from public service. At the same time that we have... um, the Prime Minister of Canada, still, Trudeau, retweeting this. Zach, if you will. Uh, An inclusive military is a strong military. Glad that members of our Canadian forces are now able to choose from a more inclusive list of military ranks. Let's keep working to build an institution where everyone feels welcome. This is in the middle of this week, while there are, while Ottawa is in the middle of the most massive peaceful protests that I can remember ever seeing, 
Trudeau is retweeting and the Military Personnel Command of Canada is tweeting, the Canadian Armed Forces modernizes military ranks in French, where you get to choose whether or not you want to be identified by a masculine rank or a feminine rank, depending on how you're feeling that day, presumably. <laughs> so this is who is being encouraged right. to remain in the service of the state, whereas Corporal Bulford, Bulford, I think I hope I got that right. Who, At least the second time you said it that way. <laughs> who goes back and assesses what it is that his oath of office requires of him and understands, and I think correctly, that he cannot comply with the orders that are being handed down to him because they are not lawful. And so, Zach, please give me my screen back. Um, I want to make a couple points about this. Um, first of all, I think, uh, was it Corporal Bulford? Yes. Um, what he did is extremely courageous, and he made um, good use of the opportunity to make his point. But I want to make a more general point about the process by which all of the people who are supposed to be protecting us are being sorted between the compliant and the refuseniks. And the point is, draconian mandates that you must comply with or leave, leave a force of people who comply. Mm -hmm. The idea, the, the, this was always going to come down to immoral orders, right? That's the thing about authoritarianism is eventually it delivers the immoral orders. And the question is, do you understand Nuremberg? Do you understand that you must not comply? And leaving is not necessarily the right way not to comply, because if it leaves behind a force that is compliant from which all of the people who think from themselves have been purged, then we have a new problem. Now, I don't know how to deal with this. Obviously, the military can throw you out if it wants, right, as can any police force. But, well, I don't know what happens with unions and the like. But, but nonetheless, the idea that um, we are going to exit these positions rather than use our position in order to reject those immoral orders, right? In other words, um, a police officer who is given an immoral order to... Uh, arrest somebody who is engaged in civil disobedience cannot comply. And that is what we should do. That is the most powerful thing we can do with our positions uh, is, is resist um, and just simply not engage in it. And, you know, and I think we saw this, for example, with the tow truck drivers who refused to tow away the rigs of the convoy when they were ordered to by police. I don't know this story. Uh, that's what I understand is that there was resistance to doing it. And I think I think the thing is we need to start thinking in these this terms. Is, you're talking this week in Ottawa. Yes, mm -hmm. beginning of the week. Um, I think we are we are we are not recognizing the strategic genius of these draconian mandates that you either comply with or you're out. The point is to leave a force that does not think that contains nobody who thinks, to, contains nobody who has that, uh, that resistance within them. Mm -hmm. And if everything, if everything that wears a uniform is suddenly going to be filtered in this way, then you know what happens next, right? We know what yeah. that looks like. Inclusive of those who buy batshit gender ideology and exclusive of those who disobey unlawful orders doesn't sound like a group of people who are capable of defending freedom or justice. 
frankly. Right. And it happens at every level. I mean, we've also, in our own Congress in this country, we've seen uh, almost all of the voices that you might be inclined to listen to as honorable have exited because the role of being there has been made intolerable. We've seen it in our classrooms where the most dedicated teachers have not 100%, but in large measure been forced to leave because they have to do things in the classroom that they know have nothing to do with education and are actually counterproductive to it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's a it's a positive feedback that we, we, we have to be, we, we should properly be frightened of. And let me just, um, I mean, I... We could dump on the duplicitous Ken doll all day, of course, but um, I think we're not not going to. It's too easy a target. Um, uh, but which is the the epithet you gave him, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, last week? And it um, it is it seems apt. I have yet to see the pushback that makes sense against that as a as a name for him. Um, let me just say that one of the things, one of the other things that he did on social media this week, while he's in hiding because he's scared of truckers uh was this tweet and you can just show it while i'm reading it zach and then and then and then take off my screen again please quickly today in the house this was february 1st today in the house members of parliament unanimously condemned the anti-semitism islamophobia anti-black racism homophobia and transphobia that we've seen on display in ottawa over the past number of days together let's keep working to make canada more inclusive so, so courageous. That's, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so courageous. So I, so I think when we speak of the uh, the duplicitous Kendall, mm -hmm. we should always use the term uh, with all due respect. <laughs> and the amount of respect due is zero. He's not due any respect. But yeah. Um, incidentally, just as long as we're here, Chris Martinson tweeted a video that has Trudeau's lofty, insane words overlaid over images of the protest. As oh yeah, is. this is a good one. It's it's beautiful. Mm -hmm. So uh, you can. We, at least... we, I, I was going to link that here in the show notes. So oh, I, didn't, I didn't know that Chris had tweeted it, but I, okay. Yeah, so it's, anyway, it's making the rounds for yeah, sure. Yeah, it's really really good. Uh, so just I'm I'm sorry I interrupted you, but this is um, you know actual footage of the protests. You know people people dancing in the streets, people cleaning up at garbage, people you know people putting honorable signs up and um, and being actually inclusive. Hey, you know what? Um, with the sound off on the people and uh, Trudeau's. Uh, sycophantic, hypocritical, nasty, and divisive words over over the top. Yeah, it's yeah. It, it, it's, it's quite the juxtaposition. Indeed, let's put it that way. Indeed. Uh, so I do will want to read some from Dan's letter, but it looks like you have some place to go first, perhaps. Well, I have a couple of uh, things that I wanted to I wanted to cover. One of them is I just wanted to note the existence of what I think. It can't be a totally new form, but something I've now seen three times in the space of a week or two, and I wanted to call attention to it. So there were three instances where something emerged online as if some person had made a terrible gaffe, mm. right? And the three instances were... Whoopi Goldberg, which some people will say, but she did make a terrible gaffe. Actually, people will say that for all three of these things. Whoopi Goldberg's uh, statement about uh, about the Nazis. Mm -hmm. There's Jordan Peterson on Joe Rogan's program where they talk about the terminology uh, black and white and the fact that it is chromatically bizarre. Okay. And the third one is Robert F. Kennedy Jr.'s speech at the march in which he talks about um, 
uh, Anne Frank. And in all three of these cases, these people took tremendous flack and so I think you have not explained the third one for those who don't already know what the story is. The RFK one. Yeah. Uh, RFK gave a speech at the march in which he said something that actually I think I've said here on Dark Horse or pretty close to it, which was that there is a distinction between the tyranny that we are seeing presently and all previous examples that I had been prepared speaking now for me, mm-hmm. I had been prepared from childhood for the fact that it could happen anywhere. Don't mm-hmm. kid yourself, it can't happen here because it can. Right. What I was not prepared for at all was that there would be nowhere to go, mm-hmm. right? That was always written into those stories was that it happens and you don't want to be slow to recognize it because one of the things you might have to do is run. And I have been noticing now for much of, you know, at least the second half of COVID, that uh, the places that I would have thought to run, you can't go there. In fact, some of the worst places, right, including including Israel, uh-huh. right? Um, but Canada is giving us all hope again. <laughs> well, Canada is now telling both sides of this story, right? Uh-huh. We're seeing yes. a rebellion against the draconian stuff, but they've been ahead of the curve with the, respect to the, the draconian stuff. Okay. Um, so anyway, the point is, in all three of these cases, here's what I saw. So again, this was... Um... This is Whoopi Goldberg on The View talking about the Holocaust, right? Yep. And this is uh, Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan talking, talking about, about the the <clears throat> naming of races by black and white as if those are really descriptive of yep. skin color. And you have RFK talking about um, this being different from past horrors right. and, and, and specifically invoking the Holocaust. And Frank okay. and her uh, Where she, you temporarily know, uh, successful... Uh, resistance by hiding and uh, uh, Von Trapp's escaping over the Alps and things. But um, Did he invoke the Von Trapp's? Yeah. Well, he didn't invoke them by name, but he talked about there were things that, you know, not everybody was able to get out, obviously, but people did find ways to escape. Right. Right. That was his point. And you can like it or you can not like it, but here's what I saw. And actually, there there is a precedent, um, you know, which uh, Eric has talked about, which is the Dean Scream. Mm-hmm. Right, so the Dean scream, Howard Dean running for president uh, at the end of a defeat, uh, a night in which a primary where he is defeated is giving a pep rally to his supporters, and he says, "And we're going to go to whom?" And he lists a bunch of states, and his voice is hoarse, and he lets out some kind of a screechy something or other, and it was a total nothing, but it actually ended his presidential bid because it was circulated by uh, the, the late-night comedy programs as if it had been this terribly embarrassing thing. Yeah. Um, anyway, here's my point about these three instances. We can go back and forth about the details of what Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson said, what Whoopi Goldberg said, what Robert F. Kennedy Jr. said, um, and we can talk about their merits. But specifying exactly what they said that was so very terrible is not really doable. In fact, I haven't heard it described anywhere, right? Um, Trevor Noah uh, mocked Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan, and his point, and I don't think there's anything wrong with his point, mm-hmm. his point was what they're saying is so obvious, why why are they even talking about it, right? Whereas CNN <laughs> absolutely slandered Jordan Peterson. Oh, God. Um, 
It's great to be at two simultaneous places in, <laughs> in the pushback that are, in, that inco- are mutually incompatible. incompatible. I mean, what Don Lemon That's did so on CS... That's so dumb. You're racist for saying it. That's so obvious. Why are you saying right, it? Right, exactly. You can't have it both well, ways, and, guys. And the CNN version. Yeah. I hope I'm going to get this right. Okay. Don Lemon, right, who is talking to Michael Eric Dyson, I hope I have the person right, who is somebody that Jordan Peterson had a famous debate with not mm-hmm. ter- terribly long ago. Yep. And... Skewered him. Jordan Peterson is describing Michael Eric Dyson having called Jordan Peterson an angry white man. Yep. Okay. Don Lemon inverts this and reports it as if Jordan Peterson has called Michael Eric Dyson an angry white man or something like that. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any well, sense. But, I mean, that doesn't even, I mean, Michael Eric Dyson is not a white man. That's so. exactly why it would be a crazy. Okay. I, I hope this is true. I like. N- n- this I believe he even showed the clip and then did it. It's 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 incredible. We should we should link it in the show notes. But anyway, here's my point. I know it's so unbelievable that it sounds like I must have it wrong, right? Yes. Well, let's hope I <laughs> do. Does. But but it's pretty crazy. Okay. But anyway, here's here's my point about what happened. Yeah. In all three of these cases, somebody treads on sacred ground. They talk about some topic that they maybe don't have license to talk about. Why do Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson get to talk about, you know, dark skin? Why does Whoopi Goldberg get to talk about Nazis and Jews? Why uh, does Robert F. Kennedy Jr. get to talk about, you know, Nazi tyranny? Right. Okay. So the point is all these people don't have automatic standing because they're not members of this group. They talk about stuff and actually all of these people talk about it apparently not worried, right? And then somebody's like, there must be something wrong in there. I'm going to broadcast it as if they've said something so self-evidently wrong that they have just jeopardized their entire standing. And we'll see if somebody can find out what that wrong thing is, right? We'll put it out into the world as if it's terrible. And then we'll see whether anybody can formulate the complaint credibly, right? And the point is actually, even, you know, even in Whoopi Goldberg's case, Right. Where what she says sounds offensive. She says, you know, the Nazis were not engaged in racism because the Jews that they were persecuting were of the same race. Now, I don't subscribe to her perspective, but it's not that she said anything about it was okay. She just has some definition of race that it involves this being within rather than between. And the fact is it's tone deaf, but it's not evidence that she has any animus towards some racial group. Well, it seems to me, actually, that the thing that ties the three examples that you brought up together is that the attempt to cancel the speakers on the basis of these supposed errors uh, has been in large part due to you know, the, the technique used is you're not a member of the group you're talking about, therefore even talking about it is unacceptable. And um, you know this this is a pretty modern, I think, I hope, yeah. but it feel it feels like a very modern thing. you know, and of course, you know we we experience some of this at Evergreen as well. Like you're not allowed 
to think about, have any opinion about, say anything about anything with which you do not have direct personal experience. Furthermore, you need to bow down to the, you know, individual anecdotal lived experience of anyone who does as soon as they tell you anything um, that they believe to be true about anything about that group. And, you know, th this this is, of course, incoherent at every single level. Um, and that's not to that's not to say that individual stories aren't powerful. Of course, they are. Um, or that anecdote um, can't sway people or that, you know, what it is that you have experienced doesn't give you a particular perspective that those who have not lived in your skin cannot experience the same way. But that isn't part of what we are as humans. That is part of what we do. We have theory of mind. We have empathy. We have the ability to say, hey, try my shoes on for a while. Try living as I do. Try looking through my eyes. Here, let me help you. And this, this modern thing is, I'm going to force you not to look through your eyes to tell this story, and I'm going to bludgeon you with the idea that you that my eyes exist and I have a story to tell, but I'm not even going to tell you that because I'm exhausted or some bullshit like that. You know, it's it's entirely incoherent at every level, and it's you know what it is? It's it's mean. Well, wow. it is deeply, deeply mean at many of the individual levels, and of course, it is powerful. It is a powerful way to shut people down. Right. And it, that is the thing is it is about power. There are really two versions of civilization that we could be pursuing. One was the one that until, you know, a few years ago, we all thought we were pursuing, at least all the decent people did, which yeah. was a society in which, you know, your background doesn't dictate your opportunities, period. Right. It wasn't the you know, the colorblind has become a bad word because people have misportrayed it as a, you know, a kind of, uh, you know, pretentious claim that you can't see color rather than it plays no role in a courtroom or a classroom. You know, you, you, it is it is nothing more than a phenotypic marker. But it's like conflating men and women are equal under the law with men and women are the same. It is it's the same it, conflation. It's the same conflation. And yeah. so the point is, you've got the world in which these things no longer dictate your opportunities, right? That's really the liberal dream. That's why conservatives are now defending liberal gains, is that we all, you know, liberals liberals were right about this. <laughs> liberals kind of won this fight they 30 did. years ago. They did, and now they've abandoned it, and the yeah. conservatives are defending it. And yeah. there's something beautiful in the conservatives defending. I mean, maybe conservatives are always defending the, the gains of past liberals, and that that's part of the confusion here but um it seems actually now that you say it that way that that would have to be the case it, it really has to be the it case. would have to be the case but but in any case um the alternative world is one in which we apportion special rights here's a word that you can use that they can't use yeah. right that's a little privilege for you and the point is do you really think you're going to fix the world by apportioning privileges does that sound good to anybody Obviously, it's insane. It's not stable. The right world is the one in which, you know, yeah, you're never perfectly going to get there. But the one in which we approach as well as possible a, a place in which none of the things that have hobbled any of our ancestors still matter, right? You really do, you know, is meritocracy good? Yes. Do we have one? No, not quite. But we merit plays a role right? What you want is a system in Do which... Do we want to increase the role of merit and decrease the role of chance and luck? 
Yes, we do. It is that exactly. Mm -hmm. You want a system in which merit plays as large a role as possible. And then we all know what it is we're supposed to do, which is be meritorious, right? right? Bring good things to the world. Help others bring good things into the world, right? Those are the things we should be fostering rather than a system, you know, does it's it's plainly insane on its face that you're going to reapportion privileges in any way that could correct for anything in any permanent sense. Right. That's a that's a that's a forever game of chaos. Right. It couldn't be done even in principle. Yes. So like that. Like that, indeed. Um, I've got three things I want to do before we before we sign off. Um, maybe let's start with um, reading a little bit from from Dan's letter, okay, which I again posted on Natural selections. Let me give you a little, little background on, on this. Um, this is verbatim uh, the text of a letter that um, <clears throat> Dan Arcand, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, just wrote to me on my Patreon, actually, having, having just joined and wanting to share a number of things um, after our last live stream. Uh, in which we talked about the the convoy as it, as it was rolling in, and he, uh, I have since received many more words from him, and they are all all amazing. And you know, for both both in the case of Dan here and Tara, who's um, <clears throat> the mother of Mila, um, we have been in more contact since, and um, I am just I am so grateful and hopeful that these are some of the people who are in part leading the charge who are, who are who are standing up and saying you know not not in my name and and are are working in their own way to hold the line so let's see i wanted to since since Zach is on my screen now i have to figure out where yeah can you just give that back to me for a moment so i can find my notes um okay so again like with Mila's story, I encourage you to read this whole thing. Um, but this, um, you can, God, I keep on forgetting because I'm talking at the same time, the narrative of the truckers. Okay, so you can give me about that back now, Zach, or you can give it to them again. The cavalry rolled in on aligning for a common purpose. Um, oh boy. Um, here we go. The narrative of the truckers, this is just a piece of this letter. The narrative of the truckers was beautiful and tragic. The same people who we all believed had taken an enormous risk to their lives in early 2020 to feed the country during peak COVID hysteria were now being fired for doing exactly what they were called heroes for last year. It made no sense. Now they, the forlorn heroes, the Western Canadian cowboys, were going to ride into town and slay the dragon and all for us. It was almost too good to be true, but they were exactly the heroes we needed and not a moment too early. I still can't believe how close we were just last week to collapsing under the weight of our own despair. And just like that, the media turned its attention from the resistor next door onto them. They were vilified. This was the second galvanizing moment. The stories went, they weren't heroes after all. They were every ist you could imagine. There were only 12 of them, no, maybe a hundred tops. They weren't coming, the highways were closed. They were dragoons and thieves coming to rape your daughters in the night. No, seriously, this was written. At every twist and turn, we secretly questioned their resolve in the face of this ruthless onslaught. Until yesterday, just like you would expect in a movie, the crowds emerged our highways and byways, and it became clear that despite the best efforts of the naysayers and mainstream press, Canadians would ignore the strange stories and cast their lot with the convoy, betting against the narrative. 
waited for we waited for hours, our toes freezing, sharing gloves and stories of friends and family members being ridiculed, silenced, and pushed out of society. The vaxxed and unvaxxed, working and unemployed, families and single people popped up with homemade posters and Canadian flags. Fear had given way to hope. We were not alone. And after five hours of delays, the cavalry appeared down the highway with flashing lights and blasting foghorns. They rolled in and rolled and rolled, literally thousands of trucks and truckers and vans and cars with flags and wagons and messages of hope from across the country with Bible verses of Jericho and Truck Trudeau flags. For nine hours straight, we immersed ourselves in the electric and timeless moment. It kept on rolling. We were transported into the biggest cheerleading, flag-waving, poster-shaking party you could ever want to be at. We shared moment after moment with our heroes and with each other. The names melted away. We were all very, very real. We screamed and cried and hugged strangers. We filled each other's cups and promised without words that we will not go gently into the night. It was understood implicitly that we had each other's backs and we were completely aligned for our common purpose, our freedom. This is only the beginning of this moment. It is not nearly over, but there is no going back. I feel deeply that Canadians, led by our cavalry, were dragged across the Rubicon today. I so hope he's right. I so hope he's right. Um, well, this uh, this does raise a question. I think it's very hard to know what where to even stand for an objective view of how effective this is. But I will say... I'm watching uh, some scary reversals of progress, but I actually take from them the inverse of the message that one might, right? I'm seeing, Things like Italy doing more. Well, no, I mean, okay. it, it's delicate because he's a good friend, but I'm watching Joe forced to second guess himself a Joe little Rogan. bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and... I really want him not to second guess himself because I think the point is the reason that the pressure has come to him the way it has is that he is actually over the target and this is the expected flack. Mm -hmm. And the point is we are, I believe, much closer to a, a victory. And by victory, what I mean is a general revelation of how much we have been misled about. We are much closer to that than we think. And that is why things look bleak at the moment. And the trucker convoy is uh, is worthy of this level of slander because it is so dangerous to the narrative. Mm -hmm. And the fact of people coming to the roads to see them and supporting them is the evidence of what it really is. So the, I guess the point is the worse the slander gets, the stronger the evidence that you are actually making a difference that power cannot tolerate. And um, I guess I would ask, as long as we're attempting to figure out what our power actually looks like, um, it is worth, in light of what Joe Rogan has done and how far he has brought us in terms of uh, revealing the narrative to a huge audience or revealing mm -hmm. the falseness of that narrative, I would also ask people, I've been... Uh, trying to get people to realize this is a human being. He does incredible things, but you know, he's also, it's, it's impossible to, to endure this level of slander and not have it get to you. And, you know, he's got, you know, some rules. He doesn't look at comments online and things like this to immunize himself, but there's only so insulated you can be when the world is saying terrible things about you at a decibel level. That's just, you know, mm -hmm. your, your windows don't keep it out. 
And anyway, so I would ask people. I mean, even the toy poodle royals are uh, coming after him. I think I don't know about the toy poodle royals. <laughs> oh, whatever they are, Harry and Meghan. Oh, right. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. They're thirty not seconds, thirty dogs. minutes of no, no, okay. Sorry, I was, I was wondering because it seems like he would be good with dogs, um, especially toy animals. poodles. I mean, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Just, like, them, um, anyway, hashtag thanks mm-hmm. Joe Rogan with all the words capitalized has trended. Uh, mm-hmm. I think I started it, but it trended a number of times over the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, I believe it needs to keep doing that. And hopefully we do not want to fall short, just shy of the target, because suddenly the resistance was so strong that we thought it might be an infinite distance away. That's not where we are. That's not where we are. The, the, mm-hmm. the narrative has crumbled because it is not high quality and because the evidence caught up to it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, let me just say, I, this, this phrase, um, I don't even know exactly how it's invoked, but the idea that, you, you know, when you're getting the most flack, it's indicator that you're right over the target, um, has always struck me as a, a little a little not right because obviously there are a lot of ways that you can be getting flack that don't necessarily, you know, metaphorically you can be getting a lot of pushback when you're just wrong, for instance, um, or when you're over some target that isn't the one that you think it is perhaps. Um, but in this case, I would say, um, absolutely, absolutely is, um, the, and it's far beyond, this is a lot of flack and it's going on for a long time uh is is he and um is he right over the target yeah he's right over the target and they've switched topics too as of today it's i was just gonna say like it it's it's not even one target it's It's, like you know they're they're just they're throwing they're throwing all the flack at him and they're they're in different it's in different flavors and different i don't don't even know how to do the metaphor but the flack over the target thing the fact doesn't come in flavors does it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes. Uh, lead. lead. Right. Yes. Um, the, uh, the point is not that all flack indicates target. Yeah. It's that the flack you are getting is flack over the target. Right. But that means that you can't take getting flack as evidence that you are. Right. No, of course. The of course. That's and, all. and the That's thing all. is, um, an honorable person will recognize that difference. But sure. the point is, in this case, this is flack over the target. What is the target? It is the COVID narrative and its yep. bankruptcy moral, morally and analytically. And, and humanly. On every front. Mm-hmm. And, you know, let's put it this way. Anybody who thinks Joe Rogan is a racist either doesn't know the first thing about the man or is an idiot. Right. But I, so I, didn't, I didn't know that that's what they had switched to. But, I mean, it's... Focusing on that is the same mistake as focusing on they called you a racist at Evergreen. Well, but, the, it was never what it was about, right. right? And that's and that's not what this is about. They'll do anything, and in fact, you know, as as Evergreen unfolded on us, and we saw our careers stripped away and all of this, um, I remember saying, "Oh my God!" Like there was one story, and that was a lie, and it's been revealed as a lie. And now there's a different story, and it's also a lie, but it hasn't been revealed yet. Oh, they switched to a different one. And it was like one, two, three, four. They just kept on choosing another one because none of them held. And I think, you know, we can hope and we must assume and we must do everything we can to make sure it is true that the same thing happens uh, with Joe Rogan. It's so much more important in every regard. Right. Um, that you know the the 
the attempts to deplatform, to cancel, to you know destroy, um, cannot be allowed to succeed. This is exactly exactly what I'm getting at, and believe me, it is uh, in part a hard won set of insights because of what you and I went through. We've been slandered, and we've seen what that looks like from the inside. Is things that are nonsense are said about you and uh, stories are inverted to to make you look a particular way. And I just think... And he, I mean, indeed, he invited you on so early. Very first so, week. And, uh, and yeah, we, I, re- I remember meeting him. I mean, he was, he was in LA still at that point and meeting him in his studio and our boys met him as well. And he was so honorable, such a good man, so just courageous and stalwart and wise and smart and human and compassionate and all of the things we have known him to be ever since. Yep. He is. And what people don't get because he's a larger than life figure is that he's also exactly life size. And that that means that we have an obligation. If we want somebody to do the job that he's doing, then we have to defend it, Mm -hmm. right? We have to defend it. Even if it's not obvious that our, uh, position allows. I mean, for you and me, I guess it is because we have a platform of a certain size. But but the point is, what you do in all of these conversations where the slanders are being deployed matters. And anyway, um, thanks, Joe Rogan. Hashtag thanks, Joe Rogan would be great if it uh, trended now in light of this nonsense. And really, every time they hurl garbage at him, uh, in order to shut down his uh, honorable and successful exploration of reality on many fronts. Indeed. Um, one last thing mm-hmm. <clears throat> before we uh, before we stop here for the week, and uh, we'll come back for those watching live uh, with our Q and A. Um, but I received, we received. Uh, a letter this week, a handwritten letter. It's wonderful. Um, we received a fair bit of, of mail. Um, and this this letter has nothing to do with COVID, but it has a lot to do with grief. Um, the letter writer uh, is Diedrich. He says, I'm 29 years old. I asked him if I could read some of this. I'm 29 years old from Oslo, Norway. Currently, I'm doing a PhD in biotechnology where I study biological phosphorus removal in wastewater. Uh, He proceeds to talk about um, his extraordinary family um, and the death of his little sister a year ago uh, and the experience of going through the, the grief of it and the grieving. And despite having a very tight knit family, and uh, a medical system that he was actually proud of and um, and felt extraordinarily well treated by. And I know how many of us will be lucky enough to have both of those things at the end of life for, for someone we love deeply. Um, but he he talks of not, of having been able to spend time with the body of his loved one, um, of his sister, um, and but but not enough. And was, was brought back to this when um, he reports, I guess it was episode 91, I read an excerpt from chapter eight of our book, Hunter Gatherer's Guide to the 21st Century on grief. Uh, And one of the things that we say in there is spend time with the body of your loved one after they die. He says, I had some with my sister and I wish I had more. So all of this is just an amazing 
story to have been thinking about this week as I have been dwelling on grief, on the impossible loss of your own child, and um, <clears throat> thinking about what else we are all grieving right now, even those of us who are lucky enough not to have lost a child, but who have lost, all of us have lost some things these last two years. And um, he says, then everything had to move on, just like it must have done for all time. But it doesn't go back to normal because there is no going back. Things went forward to normal. I've been thinking about this phrase, going forward to normal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's, there's been a lot said about the new normal, the old normal, what is going to be normal. And it's never occurred to me to talk about going forward to normal. But you know, we, we are the people who will create our own future. And we have to create the normal that is acceptable to have in the world. Things will go forward to the normal that that we make. Well, uh, if I might, I I've been saying, as you know, from the beginning of the pandemic, it will never go back to normal. I've known that from the beginning. This completes it, though. Mm -hmm. And it's not that it will go forward to normal. It will go forward to normal if we do this right. If we learn the lesson of this and we extrapolate from it correctly and we do what we must do, it will go forward to normal. Mm -hmm. If we fail in that, it will continue this way and we will go from one not normal situation to the next not normal situation. And eventually we won't make it out. Right. So I think forward to normal is exactly the correct objective. You almost invoked the Hopi uh, saying, we are the ones we've been waiting for. That one also belongs here. Right. And, uh, you know, let us, I, I, I think we should put everything into going forward to normal because they're really, it's going to be a short ride if we do not accomplish that. That really, it, it nicely encapsulates that we have to go somewhere that we cannot describe from here, but it must be because the alternative is unthinkable. That's right. All right. Um, rather than go through all of the things that I usually go through at the end, uh, I would like to strongly encourage people to go to naturalselections.substack.com and find specifically those two pieces. Um, the I have to figure out what they're called. <laughs> Hold on. Um, the Cavalry Rolled In, uh, written by Dan, and uh, Mila's Story, written by Tara. And read them and you know, comment if you like and like them, but share them. I think that they have the capacity to, to change people's minds about some of what they think they're seeing uh, or to um, affirm the he our, our shared humanity. I will say, uh, as I said on Twitter, read it. Read Mila's story in particular somewhere you can cry because it's almost impossible not to be profoundly affected by it and you should let yourself be profoundly affected by it. And uh, Anyway, it, it, it's an utterly extraordinary, I don't even want to say piece. The story is utterly extraordinary and totally heartbreaking. what it means and what, what it demands of us so that this can stop. It's 
really very important. Indeed. So be good to the ones you love, eat good food, and get outside. And go fund me, go truck yourself. <laughs>